Father Milan by Guy de Maupassant, 1850-1893 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson Father Milan For a month the hot sun has been parching the fields. Nature is expanding beneath its rays. The fields are green as far as the eye can see. The big azure dome of the sky is unclouded. The farms of Normandy, scattered over the plains and surrounded by a belt of tall beeches, look, from a distance, like little woods. On closer view, after lowering the worm-eaten wooden bars, you imagine yourself in an immense garden, for all the ancient apple-trees, as gnarled as the peasants themselves, are in bloom. The sweet scent of their blossoms mingles with the heavy smell of the earth and the penetrating odour of the stables. It is noon. The family is eating under the shade of a pear-tree planted in front of the door. Father, mother, the four children, and the help, two women and three men, are all there. All are silent. The soup is eaten, and then a dish of potatoes, fried with bacon, is brought on. From time to time one of the women gets up and takes a pitcher down to the cellar to fetch more cider. The man, a big fellow about forty years old, is watching a grapevine, still bare, which is winding and twisting like a snake along the side of the house. At last, he says, Father's vine is budding early this year. Perhaps we may get something from it. The woman then turns round and looks, without saying a word. This vine is planted on the spot where their father had been shot. It was during the war of 1870. The Prussians were occupying the whole country. General Fadeb, with the northern division of the army, was opposing them. The Prussians had established their headquarters at this farm. The old farmer to whom it belonged, Father Pierre Milon, had received and quartered them to the best of his ability. For a month the German vanguard had been in this village. The French remained motionless ten leagues away, and yet every night some of the Uhlans disappeared. Of all the isolated scouts, of all those who were sent to the outposts in groups of not more than three, not one ever returned. They were picked up the next morning in a field or in a ditch. Even their horses were found among the roads with their throats cut. These murders seemed to be done by the same men who could never be found. The country was terrorised. Farmers were shot on suspicion. Women were imprisoned. Children were frightened in order to try and obtain information. Nothing could be ascertained. But one morning Father Milon was found stretched out in the barn with a sword gash across his face. Two Uhlans were found dead about a mile and a half from the farm. One of them was still holding his bloody sword in his hand. He had fought, tried to defend himself. A court-martial was immediately held in the open air in front of the farm. The old man was brought before it. He was sixty-eight years old, small, thin, bent, with two big hands resembling the claws of a crab. His colourless hair was sparse and thin, like the down of a young duck, allowing patches of his scalp to be seen. The brown and wrinkled skin of his neck showed big veins, which disappeared behind his jaws and came out again at the temples. He had the reputation of being miserly and hard to deal with. 
They stood him up between four soldiers in front of the kitchen table which had been dragged outside. Five officers and the colonel seated themselves opposite him. The colonel spoke in French. Father Milot, since we have been here we have only had praise for you. You have always been obliging and even attentive to us, but today a terrible accusation is hanging over you, and you must clear the matter up. How did you receive that wound on your face? The peasant answered nothing. The colonel continued, Your silence accuses you, Father Milon, but I want you to answer me. Do you understand? Do you know who killed the two Yuans who were found this morning near Calvaire? The old man answered clearly, I did. The colonel, surprised, was silent for a minute, looking straight at the prisoner. Father Minon stood impassive, with the stupid look of the peasant, his eyes lowered as though he were talking to the priest. Just one thing betrayed an uneasy mind. He was continually swallowing his saliva with a visible effort, as though his throat were terribly contracted. The man's family, his son Jean, his daughter-in-law and his two grandchildren were standing a few feet behind him, bewildered and affrighted. The colonel went on. Do you also know who killed all the scouts who have been found dead for a month throughout the country every morning? The old man answered with the same stupid look. I did. You killed them all? Uh-huh, I did. You alone? All alone? Uh-huh. Tell me how you did it. This time the man seemed moved. The necessity for talking any length of time annoyed him visibly. He stammered. I, I, I don't, don't know. I simply did it. The colonel continued. I warn you that you will have to tell me everything. You might as well make up your mind right away. How did you begin? The man cast a troubled look towards his family, standing close behind him. He hesitated a minute longer, and then suddenly made up his mind to obey the order. I was coming home one night at about ten o'clock, the night after you got here. You and your soldiers had taken more than fifty ecus worth of forage from me, as well as a cow and two sheep. I said to myself, as much as they take from you, just so much you will make them pay back. And then I had other things on my mind which I will tell you. Just then I noticed one of your soldiers, who was smoking his pipe by the ditch behind the barn. I went and got my scythe, and crept up slowly behind him, so that he couldn't hear me. And I cut his head off with one single blow, just as I would a blade of grass. Before he could say boo, if you should look at the bottom of the pond, you will find him tied up in a potato sack, with a stone fastened to it. I got an idea. I took all his clothes, from his boots to his cap, and hid them away in the little wood behind the yard. The old man stopped. The officers remained speechless, looking at each other. The questioning began again, and this is what they learned. Once this murder committed, the man had lived with his one thought, kill the Prussians, he hated them with the blind, fierce hate of the greedy yet patriotic peasant. He had his idea, as he said. He waited several days. He was allowed to go and come as he pleased because he had shown himself so humble, submissive and obliging to the invaders. Each night he saw the outposts leave. 
One night he followed them, having heard the name of the village to which the men were going, and having learned a few words of German which he needed for his plan through associating with the soldiers. He left through the backyard, slipped into the woods, found the dead man's clothes and put them on. Then he began to crawl through the fields, following along the hedges in order to keep out of sight, listening to the slightest noises, as wary as a poacher. As soon as he thought the time ripe, he approached the road and hid behind a bush. He waited for a while. Finally, toward midnight, he heard the sound of a galloping horse. The man put his ear to the ground in order to make sure that only one horseman was approaching. Then he got ready. Anulan came galloping along, carrying dispatches. As he went, he was all eyes and ears. When he was only a few feet away, Father Milon dragged himself across the road, moaning, Hilf! Hilf! Help! Help! The horseman stopped, and recognising a German, he thought he was wounded and dismounted, coming nearer without any suspicion, and just as he was leaning over the unknown man, he received in the pit of his stomach a heavy thrust from the long curved blade of the sabre. He dropped without suffering pain, quivering only in the final throes. Then the farmer, radiant with the silent joy of an old peasant, got up again and, for his own pleasure, cut the dead man's throat. He then dragged the body to the ditch and threw it in. The horse quietly awaited its master. Father Milon mounted him and started galloping across the plains. About an hour later he noticed two more Yunans who were returning home, side by side. He rode straight for them, once more crying, Hilf! Hilf! The Prussians, recognising the uniform, let him approach without distrust. The old man passed between them like a cannonball, felling them both, one with his sabre and the other with a revolver. Then he killed the horses, German horses. After that he quickly returned to the woods and hid one of the horses. He left his uniform there and again put on his old clothes. Then going back into bed, he slept until morning. For four days he did not go out, waiting for the inquest to be terminated, but on the fifth day he went out again and killed two more soldiers by the same stratagem. From that time on he did not stop. Each night he wandered about in search of adventure, killing Prussians, sometimes here and sometimes there, galloping through deserted fields in the moonlight, a lost Yulan, a hunter of men. Then his task accomplished, leaving behind him the bodies lying along the roads, the old farmer would return and hide his horse and uniform. He went, toward noon, carrying oats and water quietly to his mount, and he fed it well as he required from it a great amount of work. But one of those whom he had attacked the night before, in defending himself, slashed the old peasant across the face with his sabre. However, he had killed them both. He had come back and hidden the horse and put on his ordinary clothes again, but as he reached home he began to feel faint and had dragged himself as far as the stable, being unable to reach the house. They found him there bleeding on the straw. When he had finished his tale, he suddenly lifted up his head and looked proudly at the Prussian officers. The colonel, who was gnawing at his moustache, asked, You have nothing else to say? Nothing more? I finished my task. I killed sixteen, not one more or less. Do you know that you are going to die? 
I haven't asked for mercy. Have you been a soldier? Yes, I served my time, and then you had killed my father, who was a soldier of the first emperor. And last month you killed my youngest son, Francois, near Everil. I owed you one for that. I paid. We are quits. The officers were looking at each other. The old man continued, Eight for my father, eight for the boy. We are quits. I did not seek any quarrel with you. I don't know you. I don't even know where you come from. And here you are, ordering me about in my home as though it were your own. I took my revenge upon the others. I am not sorry. And straightening up his bent back, the old man folded his arms in the attitude of a modest hero. The Prussians talked in a low tone for a long time. One of them, a captain, who had also lost his son the previous month, was defending the poor wretch. Then the colonel arose, and approaching Father Milon, said in a low voice, Listen, old man, there is perhaps a way of saving your life. It is to... But the man was not listening, and, his eyes fixed on the hated officer, while the wind played with his downy hair on his head, he distorted his slashed face giving it a truly terrible expression, and, swelling out his chest, he spat as hard as he could right in the Prussian's face. The colonel, furious, raised his hand, and for the second time the man spat in his face. All the officers had jumped up and were shrieking orders at the same time. In less than a minute the old man, still impassive, was pushed up against the wall and shot, looking smilingly the while towards Jean, his eldest son, his daughter-in-law and his two grandchildren, who witnessed this scene in dumb terror. End of Father Mino Recording by Peter Tomlinson